We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. We had Seder at uh, my home last night. It was an uh, honor to have uh, Cantor and her family there too, as, as well as uh, a whole bunch of other people. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's amazing how, um, you know, the walls can kind of expand uh, in the home to accommodate uh, uh, a number of people that you wouldn't think that could be accommodated in your house. But um, so it happened, and, and um, Adira um, did just an, an incredible job, uh, an exhausting uh, amount of work uh, to, uh, to to put everything together, um, but uh, really beautifully. Um, and uh, there were a number of highlights for me. I wanted to just uh, mention a couple um, and they're related to each other and they're related to something I wanted to share by way of teaching. So um, they sparked at least something that I want to share by way of teaching. So uh, uh, among the really wonderful conversations we had last night, we had a conversation about uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the wisdom uh, or not of rebuilding it, which uh, will uh, take a lot of time and, and require a considerable amount of money. And there was very interesting conversation at the table about whether or not it, uh, it should be rebuilt, uh, whether that money uh, might be used for other purposes, uh, or whether there's actually uh, significant value in, in rebuilding something um, uh, of that level of magnificence, although with its uh, uh, fraught history uh, and symbolism with respect to, uh, uh, to the Jewish people. Uh, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, that, uh, that it has uh, such uh, important symbolic significance uh, for not only the French people, but, uh, and, and not only for Catholics, but for um, really the entire Western world. Um, we had that conversation, uh, and uh, and then another highlight for me was toward the end of the Seder when we opened the door for uh, Elijah. That's always one of my favorite parts of the Seder, and it's kind of become customary in our household. I actually uh, stole this from Jim Plotkin um, of uh, having various moments in the Seder where you know there's a, a little bit of uh, what the kids call. Uh, cosplay, uh, costuming uh, at the Seder. So uh, there's Pharaoh makes an appearance at the Seder. Moses makes an appearance at the Seder. And, uh, and Elijah in costume always makes an appearance at, uh, at the Seder. Uh, my, you know, the kids really love it. They, you know, they want to know what, you know, what the costumes are this year. They wore, they wore some costumes. That was another main highlight of the Seder is seeing my kids even more, get more involved uh, in the actual Seder. They're, you know, uh, uh, seeing how they're growing up and learning and, and participating in really beautiful ways, uh, but uh, but Adira is like not a costume person. She just like doesn't like doing it. But last night um, she leans over to me. She's like, "Can I be Elijah tonight?" And and so we're doing Birkata Mazon, and she like sneaks away with the costume, goes uh, around the front, and we get to uh, Elijah. I'm sitting with Shmaya, and. We open the door, and there is Adira in full Elijah costume, 
and Shmaya is terrified because he doesn't realize that it's Adira at the door because she never wears costumes and she thinks that there's this bearded stranger uh, about to come in and uh, drink all the wine at her seder. Uh, it was a, it was really a, a, a when he realized it was Adira, it was it, he was a little scared and it was it was a really uh, funny moment and, and beautiful moment. But I love that part of the seder. Not funny for him. Not funny for him. It became funny for him. But I love that part of the seder. I love uh, welcoming in uh, Elijah to the Seder. My grandfather uh, always used to uh, make us watch very carefully the cup of wine to see if it would be uh, uh, consumed, if it would go down a little bit and was insistent every year that it would. I went to a Jewish day school growing up and inevitably every year uh, someone's science fair project would be does Elijah's cup really d- diminish in, uh, in, in quantity at the Seder? Um, Results were every year inconclusive, but uh, but I love I love that part of the seder. Um, and, what it's like the elf on the shelf. I love that part of the seder because uh, I think that what it communicates about Pesach is that. Uh, is that the Passover that we celebrate, the redemption that we celebrate from Egypt, is an incomplete redemption. And what we're looking toward at the Seder is the possibility of, of ultimate redemption. That's symbolized by Elijah, who, as you may know in our tradition, uh, was uh, taken up to heaven uh, before death. And uh, the rabbinic interpretation of that is that God is uh, holding him in reserve uh, until the coming of the Messiah, when Elijah will come uh, to announce the coming of the Messiah, to bring in, to usher in the Messianic era. So when we sing uh, Elijah's theme song at the Seder, we sing, um, uh, He'll come to us with the Messiah, the son of David. And that's what we look toward in the Seder. And all of that, those, both of those occurrences at our Seder last night reminded me of what is maybe my favorite story in in all of the Talmud, and it deals with Elijah and the Messiah. So, it is from Tractate Sanhedrin, uh, if you're keeping score, uh, page 98a, and it involves a a rabbi who's a prolific rabbi in in the Talmud named uh, Yehoshua ben Levi, Joshua ben Levi. And Joshua ben Levi happens to be kind of uh, stopping by a cave in the land of Israel, and he happens upon Elijah. Uh, and he, uh, he asks him some questions about, uh, about whether he's going to get into heaven. And they have an interesting conversation about that. But then he, uh, changes, he changes gears, switches gears, and he asks, um, Elijah, he asks Elijah this. Amarle, he says to him, Emat ate Mashiach. When will the Messiah come? Amarle, zil shayle lidide. Says to him, go and ask him yourself. So I, I like to imagine like what's not in the script here, and uh, Joshua ben Levi saying back to Elijah, saying back to Elijah, like, okay, smart guy. Like if I if I knew who the Messiah was or where the Messiah was, I would have asked him and not you. But um, but he doesn't. So he says, Yativ. So where is he? Okay, how do, how do I find him? How do I go and ask him when the Messiah is coming? And Elijah answers, Apitcha Dekarta. He's sitting at the, uh, outside the gates of Rome. Umay Simane. So Joshua ben Levi says, okay, there's lots of people that sit outside the gates of Rome. Who sits outside the gates of the city? Beggars. Who else? 
Okay, uh, uh, wayfarers, sojourners, people who can't get into the city. Who else? Not the judges. There, there might be judges, like like sort of like immigration judges that are there, who gets in and who gets out of the city. No joke. I mean, that's you know, the, okay, gatekeepers, right? People who uh, want to uh, regulate who comes in and who comes out of the city. And their tradesmen are waiting for their permits to be checked to see if they can get in. Okay, good. Other people who need kind of proper verification to get in. Sorry. Lepers, good. The sick people are cast outside of the city. Right, the outside the gates of the city is not really a place where you where you want to be. You want to be inside the gates of the city. Outside the gates of the city is dangerous. It's where the sick people are. It's where the poor people are. It's where the people who aren't allowed to come into the city are outside the city. Okay, so that's where, according to Elijah, the Messiah is hanging out. He's hanging out outside the gates of the city with the lepers. Now that also reminds me of another Talmudic story in which uh, someone, uh, in which uh, in which Elijah uh, travels to Rome and he notices that there is a, uh, a poor person sleeping on the ground with just a reed blanket covering him and the columns of the building next to him um, are covered in a very delicate and intricate uh, wrapping so as to prevent them from cracking in the cold. And, he's, and he comments about the, the uh, inverted values of the city, where the impoverished have to uh, make do with a reed blanket that is insufficient to keep them from suffering from the elements, but the columns get a royal treatment of protection and, uh, and, and upkeep. Right, so this is, I think, in a similar vein, right? Rome is a city in which only the people it wants to let in are let in. It keeps out the people who are uh, the, the downtrodden in society, the poor, the sick, the infirm. And it's telling in Elijah's conception here, or in the Talmud's conception of what Elijah says, that where the Messiah is hanging out is with the lepers outside the city, outside the city gate. So, umai simane, so how will I know who he is? Asks Joshua ben Levi. The answer is, yativ bene anie sovle chalaim. He sits among the poor people who are uh, afflicted with leprosy. Vechulan sharuv asire bechad zimna, ihu sharechad veasirchad. So they're all the way you would know him from all the other lepers is that all the other lepers are uh, unwrapping and then rewrapping all of their bandages at once, and he's unwrapping and rewrapping his bandages one at a time. Amar dilma miba'ina delo yakev. So he's doing that so that uh, he can kind of stop at a moment's notice if he's called upon to actually come and be the Messiah. Okay, that's the only way you would know that he's different from all the other lepers. If you were just somebody coming in and out of the gates of the city on your business, doing, you know, you're a legionnaire walking in and out of the gates of the city, it's just another leper. So only if you're attentive to that small, subtle difference would you know that this guy is different and that's actually the Messiah. So... 
Joshua ben Levi leaves the land of Israel, hops on a boat, goes over to Rome. Azal Agabe goes over to the uh, goes over to the Messiah. Amar le shalom alecha, Rabbi Umari. He says to him, "Peace be upon you, my teacher and master." Amar le shalom alecha, Bar Levi. And so the Messiah, of course, knows who he is. Says, uh, uh, "Peace be upon you, son of Levi." Amar le leemad atemar. Says to him, "When is the master coming?" Amar le Hayom says to him, today. Ata Legabe Eliyahu. So Joshua ben Levi hops back on the boat, goes to goes back to the land of Israel, goes back to Elijah. Amarle, Elijah says to him, Maya Marlach, what did he say to you? Joshua ben Levi says, Amarle Shalom Alecha Bar Levi. Says uh, to him, he said to me, Peace be upon you, son of Levi. Says, by saying that, he was in, indicating to you that you and your father are going to get into heaven. Very nice. The commentators say, how did, he, how did Elijah know that? And says, because he greeted you by name, he knew who you were, and he knew who your father was, and because of that, that, in, that indicates that, he, that, that you were a person that was destined for heaven. That's not the punchline of the story. Uh, so, uh, he's, uh, uh, Elijah um, uh, Elijah says to him um, oh sorry Joshua ben Levi says to him Amarle Shakure ka shakarbi he most certainly lied to me Amarli Hayom Atina because he said to me I'm going to come today Veloata and he hasn't come. Now, like, it takes a little while to get from Rome to the land of Israel. So let's say, so the Messiah says to him, I'm going to come today. And, okay, you know, the day passes, and Joshua ben Levi might say, okay, maybe, like, maybe he's on, like, central time or whatever, right? Goes back to the land of Israel. It's, like, another day's travel. Still hasn't come. He goes back to find Elijah. Messiah still hasn't come. No joke, he thinks that the Messiah lied to him when he said that he's going to come today. But here's what Elijah says back to him. Amar hachi amarlach. This is actually what he said to you. Hayom im tishma'u. Today, if you listen to his voice. I think that there are two ways of understanding that response. One of them is that uh, if we were, to, if we are to follow God's ways, his voice, uh, if we were to follow God's ways, if all the Jewish people, all the people in the world were to walk in God's paths, live uh, righteously, justly, compassionately, kindly, then the Messiah would come. Maybe the Messiah, maybe that would be the Messianic era if everybody were to live that way. That's one way of looking at it. And another, I think, is a much more contextual answer to the story, which is that the Messiah is actually already here. We just might not notice him or her. We might walk by him or her at the gates of the city all day long and not recognize the possibility that is present in every single person that we encounter, that every single person that we encounter might be the Messiah. And how would we relate to each other if I thought it was possible that you were the Messiah or that you were the Messiah or that you were the Messiah or that the beggar on the street was the Messiah or that the person suffering in 
the AIDS ward at the hospital or the cancer ward at the hospital was the Messiah. Or someone who suffers from Ebola in Africa could be the Messiah. How would I treat them? How would I relate to them? How would I engage with them? How would I support them? How would I uplift them? And I thought about this in respect to the conversation that we were having about the Cathedral of Notre Dame because it strikes me on some level, and I'm not necessarily weighing in on this is the uh, the the take the hot take that Rabbi Nav has it, but has on it. But it strikes me that there's a piece of that conversation that is we are willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to rebuild a building but not necessarily to rebuild the lives of people in a city in which there is rampant inequality, such as Paris, or a country in which there is profound inequality and injustice, like France, or throughout Europe, or all the world for that matter. And it strikes me that that is similar to the image of Rome that's presented here, in which those who the city does not want to deal with are cast on the out, are cast outside. Cities willing to spend expend its resources for the upkeep of the city and for the welfare of the city on the inside. It's willing to wrap the columns in uh, in in papyrus and uh, and in ointments so that uh, so that it doesn't crack in the winter, but is satisfied with giving its poor reed blankets to sleep on the street in the winter. And what would it look like if we were a society in which? we saw everybody as being having the potential of being the Messiah. Not our buildings, but our people. All of them. Regardless of who they are, or where they're stationed, or what their station is. And that, I think, is what our tradition offers us in the image of Elijah too, who is often depicted as a poor person wandering about, seeing who will let him into their homes. And it's why I love on Passover, the thing we do to close out the Seder is a reminder to each of us that our task is to open our doors and to open our arms, even to the person who is wandering about, destitute and homeless, who just needs something to drink, maybe something to eat, maybe someone to help them up because they too might be Elijah and they too might be Messiah.